The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Acts chapter 17. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is Jesus I am proclaiming to you as the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what, I'm, this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. 
Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. May God bless the reading of his word. My name is Pastor George Hopkins. Uh, for those who I haven't met yet, and uh, greetings from Gallery Church Suibo, just a few minutes down the street in southwest Baltimore. And uh, it's an honor to be with you this morning. As a pastor, especially a pastor of a church plant, I have to say, uh, when I go to churches, uh, there's certain things that always stand out to me that I want to just acknowledge first. Uh, volunteers who show up early and put out signs so you know where you're going. Uh, fill up water, make sure coffee is hot. Make sure sound works, practices the worship team, and praying before you get here. Uh, I just was, I was so well welcomed uh, when I arrived. For all those who volunteered, not just this morning, uh, but in any capacity in the church or gallery downtown, I just want to say thank you. As a pastor, I know it means a lot to Ellis uh, to have people around who are supporting the work, uh, the mission, and the vision of the church. So job well done. Uh, also, uh, I want to jump into, uh, right into the scripture, the whole chapter of Acts 17. We're going to be here for a while. Y'all got any plans after church? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but we, as I've been contemplating about this, I've been thinking about, you know, our journey, we're going through the book of Acts 2. I don't know if you noticed, but all the churches teach on the same scriptures every single week. Did y'all know that? That's pretty cool. Uh, so we've been going through the book of Acts, but sometimes for me it gets a little depressing. Acts chapter 17 is one of those chapters where you're like, why are things so hard? Why do people hate people so much? Like there were people who didn't like Paul so much that they followed him to cause turmoil. Uh, and, and it's so stressful. And I thought, you know, when I was younger, I remember when I was younger and I wanted to be an adult. Anybody remember when you were younger? I just wanted to be an adult. I got young kids now and I'm just like, just chill. Trust me, it is not <laughs> as attractive as you think it is. And I remember somebody said that, somebody, you feeling that, teachers, right? I remember, though, even as a new believer, like, I grew up in church from a young age, but in my teenage years when I grew a lot in my faith, I remember how much it was amazing, like, God loves me and understanding God's love. And then when you get older, especially if you ever get called into ministry, you get into it and you're like, this stuff is a mess. Like, when you have to figure out faith and life by yourself, it all seems very easy. And then the more we mature and we get into living life with other people, it gets messy. Not just in our local churches, but in our global church and in our world. And you get older and you're a young kid and everything looks so innocent. And then you get older and you're like, what in the world? And it always existed, right? I look at my kids and how much is going on in the world and how much they don't know. 
But one day they'll grow up and they'll encounter it and they're like, this world is crazy. And, and how do we give them a foundation to navigate it? So one of the reasons I'm sharing this is because I love the book of Acts because we're reminded of how feeble the early church was. We're reminded of how weak and our humanity we can be. And we're also reminded of God's abundant grace in the process. There's so many things I could explain in these, uh, this, these verses in the book of Acts chapter 17. I could talk about um, how people did follow Paul around and how they harassed him because of the message that he was sharing. Um, I could talk about uh, how these are verses that some people use to why they do not like Jews. What I think is interesting is when we read the scriptures, it's important for us to, I believe, to not look at it through a lens of a human hierarchy, which is who got it right, who did it right, who did it wrong. It's important for us to look at the scriptures, especially when we see human beings, and look at the humanity that they lived in and realize that that same humanity is in us. Do we still have uprising and riots happening in 2018? Do we still have frictions that are happening in 2018? And my hope is when I read the scriptures, like, oh, Lord, this isn't new. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is new to you. And you know how to address these issues in our world today, because it was there from the very beginning of the church. But I want to focus specifically this morning on Paul's message when he was sharing about the good news of Jesus. You know, again, when I was younger, processing my faith, I loved just knowing who Jesus was. And I had salvation in Jesus Christ as an individual. I loved that. And one of the things I tried to do growing up, I grew up in Baltimore City, south of Baltimore. One of the things I tried to do my entire life was get out of Baltimore. I just got to get away. I got to get away. I just need to fly away, right? And as I was trying to get out of Baltimore, there were a few moments when I was like ready. And one of those moments was when I was was graduating from high school. And I was like, I want to just get away. So I went to school for one year in a school in Pennsylvania. Um, for my first year of college. And then I ended up coming back because I just couldn't afford it. And I I ended up going to Morgan State University, which at the time I didn't want to go to because I went to Poly High School. And at Poly, we called Morgan the 13th grade. And I didn't want to (laughs) go to the 13th grade. And then I came back and I ended up going to the 13th grade. And it was life changing. I've met lifelong friends. And then we served in ministry. We saw God do amazing things on campus there. And so then I'm back in Baltimore and God is like, I'm blessing you here. Okay, I'm here. Then after Morgan, I'm like, you know, I feel called to ministry. I want to go somewhere far, far away. I'm going to go to California. I'm going to go to Dallas. I want to get out of Baltimore once again. And then I met this amazing woman who moved here from California who ended up being my wife. Okay, I'll stay here for a few more years. Okay, but I also know that my wife is from California. Her whole family's in California. So that means whenever we have a baby, we have to move to California. I'm going to get away, right? We're here with this. 2007, uh, January 2007, we found that her, her um, stepdad, my wife's stepdad, who is Peruvian, her, her mom is French-Canadian, so the only place that he's ever lived from Peru was California. The only place her mom had ever lived from Canada was California. I knew they were never, ever, ever going to move. We were going to move to California. January 2007, after being here for decades, he got a promotion. And his headquarters for his promotion, for his job, happened to be here in... The following month, we found out we were pregnant. Man, that was my opportunity. I could have moved to California, but then you moved here, and then we found out we were pregnant, and now all of us live here in Baltimore. Man. So that was a moment, many years later, where I knew that God had called me to start a church. 
And I tried to leave so many times. And I tell you all this story because the uh, coordinates of Baltimore are on this bracelet. And the scriptures that we're reading this morning are on this bracelet. Because there was a moment I said, Lord, I'm tired of trying to run. Evidently, when, when Paul says that God has created all people, he's appointed their times and set their boundaries. My boundaries are Baltimore. I'm glad to be here with us here in Baltimore. I want to talk about our limitations. Because once I realized that I was staying here in Baltimore, that I was called to Baltimore, I stopped dreaming about all these other nice places to go to. Once I stopped realizing that I wasn't supposed to go to all these other places, I stopped Googling all these other jobs and imagining being in places with sunshine and and quiet and, and beaches, whatever it was. I realized that Baltimore was my place of calling and my boundaries. I began to refocus all my efforts on what does it mean to dwell here. I want to talk about our limitations, because when I read Paul's words and he says that God has appointed all of our times and he has set the boundaries of where we will live, I realize that he has given us limitations. We only have so long that we will live and we only have places that he has called us to. And while we're there, he has a purpose for us. But oftentimes when we think of our limitations, we think of it in a negative perspective. I want to encourage us with this, that our limitations do not diminish our value. Our limitations concentrate our efforts. If we know our limitations, that God's only given me so long to live and he's given me a place to live, then we stop being distracted by all the other possibilities and we begin to take all of our energy, all of our gifting, all of our focus and put it towards the boundaries and limitations that God has given us. Perfect example, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this. He said, the person who speaks with many, many words, every time they speak their words, each word loses value. The person who chooses their words and speaks a little amount of words, those words, every single word has more weight. When you limit your words, every word you say is concentrated with more value. Most times when I meet people who have almost died, they tend to live with more purpose than those of us who feel like we've never had a health scare. When we realize that our life is limited, then we look at every single day and say, God, I know every single day is not promised. How do I use this day because it's precious? When we have no idea of our end, we can waste every day because guess what? There's always tomorrow. Our limitation concentrates our efforts. I, I remember growing up, I grew up in poverty. And so when I grew up, I remember money would, had to go pretty far. And I, hadn't, I haven't been in that setting in a long time. So right now, when I go grocery shopping, I go into the grocery store, I might have an amount of money in my mind that I will use. But however, I, when I go, I just pick what I want. Amen. You got your list. You pick your food. You get to line. You have cash. If it's more than your cash, you swipe your card. Some of us might not even use cash. We just go to the line and we swipe our card, and if it's $2 over what we expected, ah, but I'll just swipe my card and I'll take care of it later. Our card has an endless amount. If you have young kids who ever watch you swipe your card, if they watch you swipe your card every single day, their perspective is like something's in that card. <laughs> Mom and dad, I, I don't have any money. Well, just get your card. One day, if you haven't heard this yet, you will hear it one day and you'll begin to realize that our example has been just swipe the card. I remember walking in the grocery store in the giant around 33rd Street, and I'm watching a man, an older gentleman, and he's looking at some meat in the, in the freezer and meat in his cart, and he literally has cash in his hands, and he's trying to decide which one was of value. You see, when our funds are limited, every dollar counts. 
Our limitations do not diminish our value. Our limitations help us to concentrate our efforts. And Paul, even when he's talking to people asking, tell us about this Jesus, he begins to tell them about our limitations. God has given you a pointed time. You will not live forever. He knows when you will be born and when you will die. And God has set boundaries to where they would live. You will not always be able to go everywhere you want. God has called you to a place to dwell. And we know our limitations. We can focus on what God has given us. You know, many times, again, when you're younger, you're growing up in your faith, many people talk about to us about what it means to know who we are. I want to talk to you about this other limitation. It's important for us, yes, to know who we are, but also knowing who we are not is equally as important. You know, right now, somebody came to me and said, George, I got this amazing job. I want you to come to Canada, man, San Diego, and we're going to treat you really, really well, and we want you to be an engineer. That's not for me. Albert, you know me pretty well. If Albert came to me and said, George, we're going to go hiking after church today. I'm going to look at Albert and say, Albert. I love you, brother. That's not. That's not for me. It is critical for us to know who we are and to know who we're not. If you don't know who you are not, you are often being exhausted trying to be everything to everyone. If you know who you are not, then you also know who you need to have around you. I know as a pastor, I love people. I love encouraging. I love teaching. I love shepherding. But I tell you what I'm really not good at is organizing. Anybody who knows me, the first thing I do when I get in any leadership role is who's going to partner with me because I am limited in the area of organization. I need someone who is an organizer. So when, in reality, in all of us knowing who we are, when we don't know who we're not, to help us to move beyond our limitation and live in community with people who are different than us because I know my limitations. Who are you partnering with in your life? Who's different than you because you know who you're not and you know what they have is something that you need in your life. You see, when we know our limitations, we can go outside of our limitations and say, I need to partner with you. I need you in my life because this is not who I am, but I know I still need that in my life. A culture that knows its limitations will reach across to other cultures and say, I need you. If you think in your own culture you have everything you need, you'll be like, we're good, we're fine. But what I love about being here is seeing so many different faces from so many different backgrounds, so many different cultures. And I know for me, I love my culture, but hey, when I went to a Peruvian gathering with my, my stepdad and we ate some good food, I was like, I need some Peruvian cuisine in my life. Where has it been? Just because I'm black, right? That's a very practical part. But in many places in my life, I know that I need people from other cultures to come alongside me because I know the limitations of my culture. I am a better person. Our cultures, our church is a better place, and we know our limitations and say, I am better with you. A church that knows its limitations is a church that cries out to God in prayer. If you are self-sufficient, you got things organized to a T, you got things rolling, guess what you don't need to do? You'll need to pray. But if you know no matter how good you are together, if you know that no matter how good and organized you are, if you know no matter how much funds you can raise, if you know how no matter all that you can do and your limitations, we still need God, you will reach beyond your limitations and say, Lord, we need you. A person 
who knows their limitations, reaches out to the community around them and says, I'm tired, I'm weak. I I might feel like I need to be perfect, but I'm not. I, I need you. A person that knows their limitations cries out to God and says, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I thought I knew all of it. A person that knows that they're limited stops trying to rely on themselves and instead reaches out to God. It is good to know who you are and to know who you are not. There is power in knowing our limitations. You know, Paul says to these people, he says to them, In verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served human hands as if he needed anything. God has no limitations. That's kind of humbling. God, we built this amazing building for you. All right, cool. God, we're doing all this for you. All right, cool. I love that you're doing that, but I don't necessarily need it. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. I love that God has given us limitations so that maybe at one day, at some point, We would realize our own limitations and say, Lord, I need more. There must be more. And then begin to reach out for him. But I love that Paul says this. Even though God was never far away, that he's given us our limitations that we would reach out, even though God was never far away. Luke, who's writing these words to us, tells us that some people came to believe, came to believe this good word that Paul was saying that there was a good God, and even though he gave us limitations, he had done so so that we would one day stop looking at ourselves, or stop looking at temples that we've built, or stop looking at idols that we've built, and that we would look at the limitations of all those things and realize there was a God who exceeded all expectations and maybe one day reach out to him. And some believed. Brothers and sisters, my question, simple question to you this morning is do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that in our limited time here on earth, that though there is a day that we will die, do you believe that there is a resurrection? Do you believe that in the midst of your weaknesses, that there is God's strength that you can experience in the midst of it all? Do you believe that in every trial you've ever experienced, every single pain that God has been, God has been near, do you believe enough to reach beyond your limitations? And seek a God who has always been there. There's a moment in scriptures in the book of Mark chapter 5. It says that Jesus was there and there was a crowd and the crowd was pressing against Jesus. And in that woman, and it says that she had an issue of blood for 12 years. She had went to the doctors and the doctors couldn't figure it out. Her issue exposed the limitation of even the doctors around her. They could not figure out how to resolve this issue. It says that she had used all her her money paying these doctors to figure it out. Her bank account had reached its limit. And in the presence of this crowd, it says that all of them were pressing against Jesus. And this woman thought to herself, if I could just touch him, I could be made whole. 
So it says that she touches him and she's made whole. And Jesus realizes that once she touches him, she's immediately made whole. And it says that once that happens, Jesus realized that power had left him. And he says, who touched me? And I want you to picture what this really happening. It, it wasn't a room like this. It's as if I was standing here and everybody got out of their chairs and everybody came really uncomfortably close to me. I almost made y'all do it, but uncomfortably close. <laughs> and then one person was depressed through that crowd and touched my hand. And his disciples look at him and said, Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. We're in a crowd and everyone's pressing up against you. What do you mean? And Jesus says, no, there was someone who touched me. And this woman comes knowing that she was made whole when she admits what she had done. And Jesus looks at her and says, your faith has healed you, brothers and sisters in Christ. The God is always present, as Paul has said, and he's given us our limitations that we may one day reach out by faith for the God who has always been present. That day, Jesus was present, and so many people were around, but there was one who reached out with a hand of faith. Her touch was different. The others were touching him. It was her touch that said, Lord, I know my limitations. I've limited my bank account. I've limited my pleas to the doctor. If I could just touch you, I'll be made whole. When I ask this question, do you believe enough to reach beyond your limitations? It is that reach that says, Lord, you're in this room right now, but I just need to touch Lord, you're in this room right now. I'm in a room with a lot of crowded people. But if I'm the only one that by faith will pass my limitations and say, Lord, I have no way out. I just need to touch you and know you. Do you believe this morning? To reach above the limitations of your trials, of your fears, of your self-confidence and of your pride. Say, Lord Jesus. So I'm in a crowded room this morning. By faith, I know if I could just touch the hem of your garment, I would be made whole. There's power in knowing our limitations. I'm going to be done in a few minutes, and I'm going to be very frank and honest. Can I be very honest with us this morning? This isn't going to be hard. I'm going to finish, and I, and I have to leave because I have to go to Suibo, and I have to preach there this morning, right? So I, I'm just letting you know I'm going to be gone. I'm only saying that because I feel this very deep sense of, to make this question here right now. Is there anyone that needs to reach out this morning? Is there anyone that needs to raise their hand and say, Lord Jesus, I need to have an encounter. I need to touch you. I need to reach beyond my limitations. Is there anyone? Just just raise your hand. And then just a moment, I just want to pray for you this morning. If there's anyone who knows that this message that for them this morning, you just need to reach out, brothers and sisters. Reach. Just reach. Just reach. He has made our limitations known so that maybe we would reach out. If that's you, let's raise your hand. Keep your hand raised. This isn't for me. Just keep your hands raised, a physical posture. 